Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here... In sultry Savannah, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman Esquire, with the, well, let us call it the middle part, perhaps, maybe the end part. I don't know where we are in the mystery, the Miami mystery machine to which... I alluded in the previous episode, and it occurs to me that I must express, I don't know if gratitude is the right word, but to at least acknowledge that there is something that occurs as we get to the back third of all of these episodes in each season, whereupon my life undergoes some change, some trans- Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? I want to say transmigutation. I know that's not the word, but you understand to where I am heading with this. So I guess I'll let you know to what I was referring to last time when I was on my way to Miami. As you are aware, this previous summer, the summer just passed, the wife and I sojourned across the pond to Italia... We stayed in Roma, and uh, we ate the pasta and the pizza and the buffalo wings, uh, and we, you know, had a great time, and thought to ourselves, while we were in Italia, you know, this is a great place, you know, we could see, we could eat, we could see ourselves living here for, you know, some amount of time, and, and we got to talking, and thinking, hey, maybe we should move to Italy for a year, you know, because why not, the kids are leaving the nest, you know, and I'm unemployed, you're unemployed, like, maybe it's a good time to do it. We've been talking about living abroad for years, you know. We were thinking about maybe Copenhagen with the kids for a year, you know, going 
enroll the kids and school and whatever. Anyway, it never happened because these things are difficult and I was always working because at that point I had a career and now the kids are grown, the career is gone and we were in Italy thinking to ourselves, maybe we should spend a year here, you know, that would be great, that would be great fun perhaps or a disaster but either way it would be an adventure, you know. And so when we returned to the United States of America, we started looking into this a little bit further. Well, how do you go about doing that? How do you go about living in Italy for a year? And the first thing you got to do is you got to apply for this thing called like an extended residency visa, which allows you to stay in what they call Schengen countries uh, for up to a year. And Schengen countries are basically all of the EU with, you know, some thrown in, some other like the, the Nordic countries are thrown into that block. And to get your visa, you have to go to a consulate. And you have to go to the one that corresponds with the state in which you live. Well, the one that corresponds with the state in which we live is in, you guessed it, Miami. So we go on the Italian consulate website to book an appointment. Well, it takes three months. This is back in September. It takes three months to get an appointment to go get your visa. So I fill out the form and the closest uh, appointment that we can get is December 7th. Okay, fine. And in the meantime, while we schedule that, we have to organize all this information and paperwork and tax forms and all this stuff that's going to prove to the Italian government that you're not going there to freeload. You know, you're going to go, you're, you're not going to take any money out of the pockets of proper Italians. Well, that's, that seems fair enough. You know, you're not going to work. You're not going to depend on the welfare state. You're going to be there to just uh, spend your American dollars and inflate the Italian economy by a millimeter or so. Okay, fair enough. Uh, you have to confirm your appointment like a week or a week or so beforehand. They send me an email saying, confirm your appointment. I say, yes, all's well and good. We get to Miami. We stay in a weird hotel that's experiencing it's it's it, it has just experienced a fire alarm and uh we can't get up to our room you know because all the elevators are shut down anyway there's a little bit of drama around that again nothing terrible like it's all fine and good and yet i have a feeling of foreboding in the pit of my stomach i know somehow that this is going to get screwed up i just know it and i don't know how and i'm trying to understand like is there something i did wrong there's something that I screwed up here. And I don't think there is. Like I, I made the appointment. I confirmed the appointment. We've got all the paperwork. We actually talked to an Italian lawyer before we went just to make sure that everything was on the up and up. We were going to get through this process. Apparently, you know, it's Europeans. They got, they got their bureaucracies. Everything's a pain in the neck. You don't want to show up with the wrong papers and the wrong forms and blah, blah, blah. You get rejected. And we've got everything. We've gone over it. And we're thinking, I think this is going to work out fine. Morning of the appointment, we wake up, we get to the consulate right on time. We're early even. Uh, we see Italians smoking outside, you know, the way Italians do, chatting in Italian, saying things like, uh, you know, it's a nice day to be an Italian in the Miami, you know, saying things like that, but in Italian. And uh, we wait for, we wait down in the lobby there for somebody to come and bring us up. Some lady comes by. She says, uh, do you have an appointment? We say, yes, we do. Last name is Black. She looks on her list. She says, I, I don't have you on the, the list. And I'm thinking, here we go. Here we go. Like, I knew it. I just knew it. I don't have you on the, the list. And so I show her 
my confirmation email, which I have to dig up. And uh, she says, oh, no, no, you made uh, the wrong appointment. You made uh, the wrong appointment. Turns out, when you apply for this elective residency or this extended residency visa, there's two different options. There's one called the Schengen visa, and there's one called the Nationals visa. Well, I'm not a national, so I applied for the Schengen visa. Turns out I applied for the wrong fucking visa. We don't have you on the list because you made the wrong appointment, so we gave your appointment to somebody else. And my heart sinks. Not so much because I screwed up. Not so much because our plans might have just been utterly derailed. But because we drove eight hours to Miami. Which means we have to drive eight hours back. I'm immediately envisioning what those eight hours are going to be like. They're going to be, Martha, chastising and yelling at me for eight hours straight. So that, that is my entire concern in that moment. The getting yelled at portion of the next, let's say, half day of my life and probably for the remainder of our marriage, which may be ending quicker than I had imagined. You know, I in my mind, it's a till death do you part thing, but I'm, I'm thinking that actually might not be the case. It might be till we get back to Savannah. And Martha gets on the phone with the consulate, you know, we're right there, and she, she calls upstairs, and please, we drove eight hours, you know, there's nothing I can do for you, you have to make another appointment. It took us three months to get this appointment, I'm so sorry, but we have a place booked in February to go to Italy. There's nothing I can do, but it's so nice being Italian in the Miami. Eight hours we drove, compiled forms and pages and tax returns, uh, you know, spent two, you know, hours, hours compiling all this stuff, making sure it was in place, got on the horn with an Italian lawyer, did everything we could, all of it to be undone by my screw up. And it's not like this is the first time I have screwed up this kind of thing. In fact, I am well known in my household for screwing up this exact kind of thing. The kind of thing where you fill out the wrong form or you fail to make the correct telephone call or you get the wrong extension. It is fully in character for me to have screwed this up. I know this. She knows this. And I was convinced I had done everything right, and yet I still have that foreboding feeling. Now, was that a premonition, or was it just based on decades of experience being me? More likely the latter than the former. We walk out of the Italian consulate, and to her credit, Martha could not have been more gracious towards me. I, I know she's seething on the inside, but she is very being very conciliatory. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. I know I'm going to get it, you know? Maybe maybe she's just going to throw me out of the speeding car as we're heading back to Savannah. I don't know what exactly my punishment is going to be, but it is going to be severe. 
And uh, to my surprise, it, it does not happen. She is angry. That is clear. But she is trying to control her emotions. And she is, uh, I don't I want to say she's in a good mood on the way back, but she is not beating me the way I thought, either verbally, physically, or otherwise. She is as pleasant as she can be. I'm mortified, of course, but we do manage to get home with an alternate plan in place. Now, if you just go on the regular visa to Italia or to any of these Schengen countries, you can go for a maximum of 90 days every six-month period, right? So, but the clock starts from the moment you arrive. So if you go for three months, then you just have to leave for three months, and then you can come back in. At least that's the way we have figured this. So what we're thinking now is, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go to Italy. I think that's just going to happen. We're going back to Italy. We're going to spend three months in Roma. Then we have to vacate the premises, you know. Then we have to just, we're getting kicked out of the country if we ever have any hope of getting back in. So we're going to spend three months, maybe some of it in Croatia, which is not a Schengen country. You know, as the, as the weather warms, Croatia is supposed to be beautiful and might spend a couple of weeks or a month there. Then go to the UK for a month or two, you know. Then go back to Italy for another three months and come home. So instead of a year, we'll go for like nine months have an adventure, speak at Italia, and uh, eat at the pasta and the buffalo wings, and, uh, you know, have ourselves uh, an Italian-slash-Croatian-slash-British uh, escapade. Why not? Why not while we're young? We're not young, but we're, we're not old, so let's put it that way, while we're still in good health. Why not? Uh, well, because we can't afford to, but to hell with finances. Let's just go and see what happens. So that's what happened in Miami. Um, it was uh, it was a very disappointing conclusion to what should have been a nice road trip. Incidentally, if you're thinking about taking a road trip and like an eight hour road trip or so, and you're you're my age, don't do it. It's horrible. Don't do it. You don't want to. You don't want to be driving for four hours during the day, and then. Say to yourself, well, halfway done. You know, that's just not a good feeling when you're halfway done after spending four fucking hours in the car. Uh, just fly, you know, just fly. Much, much better. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking any more road trips. This is stupid. Or if I'm going to take like an eight-hour road trip, I'm going to go, I'm going to get somewhere, then I'm going to be there minimum, let's say, a week before I, just, before I head back. Minimum a week. Or I'm going to break up the road trip four hours a day. That's as much as I'm willing to drive, I think, at this point in my life. I don't have the kind of stamina I once did. I once drove 22 straight hours clear across the country from Los Angeles to Nashville, Tennessee, with my friend Robert Ben Garant. We alternated uh, driving and sleeping, made it in 22 hours. That was, I'm never doing that again. It was, uh, you know, I felt delirious at the end of that. So speaking of delirium, let us return to the great American novel Wuthering Heights, where Kathy Jr. and Linton Heathcliff have just gotten into a big spat and entered their own little states of delirium with Mrs. Dean recording 
every utterance therein. We'll take a break, and when we return, we'll read a little bit of Wuthering Heights. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back on Obscure, we're about to read some Wuthering Heights. As I said, there's just been an altercation between the young lovers, Kathy Jr. and Linton Heathcliff. They've just gone at each other about their different about their different understandings of the family relations that uh, that occurred with the previous generation. Um, Kathy gave the chair that Linton was on a violent push, and he fell against an arm and had a coughing fit. Of course, uh, because you know he's he's just in terrible terrible health. And then they kind of made up a little bit after he sighed and moaned like one under great suffering and kept it up for a quarter of an hour. So let us pick it up here in chapter 23 of Wuthering Heights. I'm sorry I hurt you, Linton, she said at length, racked beyond endurance, but I couldn't have been hurt by that little push, and I had no idea that you could either. You're not much, are you, Linton? Don't let me go home thinking I've done you harm. Answer, speak to me. Well, in this day and age, you know, if a young lass is to you, well, you're not much, are you? You know, and and I wouldn't have been harmed if somebody had pushed (laughs) the arm of the chair that I was sitting in. You know, you'd you'd think to yourself, you know, I I think I might be, uh, to quote a phrase, in the friend zone here. But I don't think Linton is thinking in those terms. You know, he has already expressed that he wishes she were his wife. And uh, she does not necessarily seem entirely adverse to the idea, although she has expressed that she thinks of him more as a brother. I can't speak to you, 
he murmured. You've hurt me so that I shall lie awake all night choking with this cough. If you had it, you'd know what it was, but you'll be comfortably asleep while I'm in agony and nobody near me. I wonder how you would like to pass those fearful nights. And he began to wail aloud for very pity of himself. Since you're in the habit of passing dreadful nights, I said, it won't be Miss who spoils your ease. You'd be the same had she never come. However, she shall not disturb you again, and perhaps you'll get quieter when we leave you. Must I go? asked Catherine dolefully, bending over him. Do you want me to go, Linton? You can't alter what you've done, he replied pettishly, shrinking from her unless you alter it for the worse by teasing me into a fever. <laughs> he sucks. Linton Heathcliff just sucks. I mean, like, it's one thing to be sick, you know? It's one thing to be an invalid. I don't know if that word's in fashion or not, but it seems to describe his state of being. He is an invalid. He is weak of constitution. But... There is something else entirely when you milk it for everything that it is worth. In fact, when I was on Reno 911, I played a character that we called Cancer Boy, who did exactly this. And it was based on a character that we used to do around the office, where we, where we talked about how funny it would be if you had some sort of wasting disease or some sort of deadly ailment, how you could get away with anything because everybody would feel terrible for you. And so this person that I played, the cancer boy, was just a horrible, horrible human being who just happened to be suffering from cancer and used it to take full advantage of the situation. And that's exactly what Linton is like. He's just terrible. Just a horrible, horrible human being. Well, then I must go, she repeated. Let me alone, at least, said he. I can't bear your talking. <laughs> she lingered and resisted my persuasions to departure, a tiresome while, but as he neither looked up nor spoke, she finally made a movement to the door, and I followed. We were recalled by a scream. Linton had slid from his seat onto the hearthstone and lay writhing in the mere perverseness of an indulged plague of a child, <laughs> determined to be as grievous and harassing as it can. God, he's awful. So he waits for her to go, and then he basically flings himself off the chair onto the hearthstone, where he lies writhing in some sort of imagined agony. You know, he has fallen about 18 inches. And fallen is really too strong a word for what has happened. He has allowed himself to slink from the chair. I thoroughly gauged his disposition from his behavior and saw at once it would be folly to attempt humoring him. Not so my companion. She ran back in terror, knelt down and cried and soothed and entreated till he grew quiet from lack of breath, by no means from compunction at distressing her. I shall lift him on the settle, I said, and he may roll about as he pleases. We can't stop to watch him. I hope you're satisfied, Miss Cathy, that you are not the person to benefit him, and that his condition of health is not occasioned by attachment to you. 
Now then, there he is. Come away. As soon as he knows there is nobody by to care for his nonsense, he'll be glad to lie still. She placed a cushion under his head and offered him some water. He rejected the latter and tossed uneasily on the former as if it were a stone or a block of wood. She tried <laughs> the cushion. He, the cushion is, is paining him, you know. Of course it is. Uh, she tried to put it more comfortably. I can't do with that, he said. It's not high enough. <laughs> Catherine brought another to lay above it. That's too high, murmured the provoking thing. How must I arrange it then? She asked despairingly. He twined himself up to her as she half knelt by the settle and converted her shoulder into a support. Well, that's a mistake, isn't it? Now she's just going to have to sit there for the rest of the night while he lays his, his, uh, his head more delicate than an eggshell upon her soft shoulder. This is, he is manipulative, just like his father. He does it in a different way, of course, but he is no less mischievous. No, that won't do, I said. You'll be content with the cushion, Master Heathcliff. Miss has wasted too much time on you already. We cannot remain five minutes longer. Yes, yes, we can, replied Cathy. He's good and patient now. He's beginning to think I shall have the greater misery than he will tonight, if I believe he is the worse for my visit, and then I dare not come again. Tell the truth about it, Linton, for I mustn't come if I have hurt you. "'You must come to cure me,' he answered. "'You ought to come because you have hurt me. "'You know you have extremely. I, "'I was not as ill when you entered as I am at present, was I? "'But you've made yourself ill by crying and being in a passion. "'I didn't do it all,' said his cousin. "'However, we'll be friends now. "'And you want me. "'You would wish to see me sometimes. "'Really? I told you.' Oh, wait. Oh, oh, I see. I've, I've, I've screwed it all up. Ah, so she says, but you've made yourself ill by crying and being in a passion. Oh, no, that's, that's, that's Mrs. Dean who says that. But you've made yourself ill by crying and being in a passion. And then he says, I didn't. Wait, what? So I didn't do it all, said his cousin. Oh, that's Kathy Jr. I didn't do it all, said his cousin. However, we'll be friends now. And you want me? You would wish to see me sometimes, really? I told you I did, he replied impatiently. Sit on the settle and let me lean on your knee. That's as Mama used to do whole afternoons together. Sit quite still and don't talk. But you may sing a song if you can sing. Or you may say a nice, long, interesting ballad one of those you promised to teach me, or a story. I'd rather have a ballad, though. Begin. <laughs> Begin. <laughs> He's such a dick. Oh, it drives me crazy. These, these, these Heathcliff people, they drive me absolutely bonkers. At least Linton is kind of funny because he's pathetic. You know, there's, there's nothing particularly he can do other than manipulate. And for whatever reason, Kathy Jr. wants to be manipulated. She's playing along with him. For her, perhaps it is some sort of game, you know, the way 
you know, you got, you get a doll or something and the doll poops itself. You know, they've got, you know, dolly poops itself and that's a fun toy that you play with. And then you have to, you know, clean up the poop from the doll and put a diaper on and then up, you know, baby pooped itself again. And, and so you're stuck with it over and over and over again. Well, Linton is baby poops itself. That's what Linton Heathcliff is, you know? He's just a doll for her to carry around and clean up his poo. Catherine repeated the longest she could remember. The employment pleased both mightily. Linton would have another, and after that another, notwithstanding my strenuous objections. And so they went on until the clock struck twelve, and we heard Hareton in the court returning for his dinner. And tomorrow, Catherine, will you be here tomorrow? asked young Heathcliff, holding her frock as she rose reluctantly. No, I answered, nor next day neither. She, however, gave a different response, evidently, for his forehead cleared as she stooped and whispered in his ear. You won't go tomorrow, recollect, miss. I commenced when we were out of the house. You are not dreaming of it, are you? She smiled. Oh, I'll take good care, I continued. I'll have that lock mended and you can escape by no way else. I can get over the wall, she said, laughing. The Grange is not a prison, Ellen, and you are not my jailer. And besides, I'm almost seventeen. I'm a woman, and I'm certain Linton would recover quickly if he had me to look after him. I'm older than he is, you know, and wiser. Less childish, am I not? And he'll soon do as I direct him, and wish some slight coaxing. He's a pretty little darling when he's good. I'd make such a pet of him if he were mine. We should never quarrel, should we? After we were used to each other, don't you like him, Ellen? Oh, so she's just, she's also the worst. You know what I mean? Yeah, a pet? He's my little pet? I mean, it's just gross. He baby poops a lot. That's all he is to her. And I don't know what she is to him other than he's sort of like an incel. You know, he's sort of like, nobody would ever want me. And so I'll make everybody miserable. You know, you can see him being in a modern day incel. That's what he is. He's the worst. Like him? I exclaimed, the worst-tempered bit of a sickly slip that ever struggled into its teens. Happily, as Mr. Heathcliff conjectured, he'll not win twenty. I doubt whether he'll see spring indeed, and small loss to his family whenever he drops off. And lucky it is for us that his father took him. The kinder he was treated, the more tedious and selfish he'd be. I'm glad you have no chance of having him for a husband, Miss Catherine. My companion waxed serious at hearing this speech. To speak of his death so regardlessly wounded her feelings. He's younger than I, she answered, after a protracted pause of meditation. And he ought to live the longest. He will. He must live as long as I do. He's as strong now as when he first came into the North. I'm positive of that. It's only a cold that ails him, the same as Papa has. You say Papa will get better, and why shouldn't he? Well, well, I cried. After all, we needn't trouble ourselves. For listen, miss, and mind, I'll keep my word. If you attempt going to Wuthering Heights again, with or without me, I shall inform Mr. Linton, and unless he allow it, the intimacy with your cousin must not be revived. It has been revived, muttered Cathy sulkily. Must not be continued, then, I said. We'll see, was her reply and she set off at a gallop, leaving me to toil in the rear. Well, we didn't get as far as uh, 
as we have in some previous episodes. But, you know, I had to recount my Miami adventures, important as they are. But, you know, is it just that I unsettle my life every year or so? Perhaps. Perhaps it is just something I do, and it is only in uh, in commencing this podcast that I have come to understand that about myself. Well, the first season wasn't my fault. You know, Jack-Jack just up and died on me, and that was terrible, but through no fault of mine. The second season, I moved here to Georgia, and now it seems I am moving again, at least temporarily, to Italia. So I don't know, you know, I mean, maybe everybody does this. Maybe everybody just has seasons of change, you know, every every now and again. Mine will commence this February, and who knows? Who knows where it will take us? I, I like the idea of adventure, you know, and we're about to have one. Who Who wouldn't want to go live in Rome for a few months and then, you know, traipse around the continent for a little bit. Who wouldn't want to do such a thing? Well, I do. Um, why not? Why not have this life? We only get the one, uh, or at least the one that we remember. So we'll leave it there. We're cruising right along here. We're, we, we actually don't have that much left of the book. To my surprise, as I look down at the page count, you know, we've only got another, oh, I don't know, quarter of the book, if that, left to read. We don't know quite what's going to happen. Again, as always, I'm rooting for murder-suicide, but there certainly will be more death to come, more mayhem to entertain us. But, uh, you know, we'll just have to see how it arrives, in what manner. So as uh, we'll leave it there, and we will pick it up again on another pettish episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and the great Robin Lynn. Our theme song is by Craig Wedren. We rely on you, the listeners, for support. So please, go to patreon.com slash Black. Sign up. There's all kinds of fun stuff. There's goodies. You could join the book club where we get together. We talk about the book that we're reading. Uh, and it's just a fun community. So, you know, head on over to patreon.com slash Black. And I will see you next time.